Welcome to the Enlightening Motherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Hamblin. And I'm your co-host, Ashley Schultz. As moms who are currently in the thick of raising kids with big emotions, we know firsthand how challenging their intense behaviors can be. And that a little support can go a long way. This is a non-judgmental community that was created for you or any mom who's feeling overwhelmed, frustrated, or stressed. Each week, either Emily or I will share our experiences, offer practical tips, and interview experts in the field so you can be empowered to help your children with their challenges. Join us as we help you enlighten motherhood. Hello, everyone. This is Emily. I hope you're having a beautiful day wherever you are here in Arizona, where I live. It is hot. (laughs) It is so hot. I think it was 119 degrees the other day. And before I lived here, I really didn't even fathom how hot that was. Like, to me, 100 degrees was always hot. And I can't, I couldn't imagine the difference between 100 and 120 But it's about the same as, you know, the difference between 60 and 80 degrees Fahrenheit, which I should probably look up what that is in Celsius because many of you are, (laughs) many of you use a metric system for your temperatures. But in any case, it's just been very, very hot here. It's also the time of year where our kids start to go back to school and it's way earlier than um, many of the other places where I've lived for children to go back to school. One of the reasons being because our summer is so hot, it's not as pleasant for us to vacation during that time as it is for us to vacation during the fall, the winter, and the spring. So we get really long breaks from school then where we can enjoy the weather a bit more. (laughs) But I'm grateful for the time I did have with my kids this summer. And I'm I'm kind of excited for school to start again. My oldest actually started school today. And last night, as I went into his room to say goodnight, give him a back rub, check in with him. Um, He's 12, just to put it into context. I was asking him about his lunch for the next day. And then suddenly I realized, like, he's almost asleep. And I realized that I did zero, (laughs) zero prep work for his back to school shopping. Like, his school had sent me a list of everything he needed and I was on vacation when it came and it kind of got buried and I realized this at like nine o'clock last night and so we have a lot of school supplies on hand he brought a backpack full of school supplies to school I don't know if it's what he needed for his first day I I hope his teachers are forgiving and it's it's kind of funny because I'm a teacher my husband's a teacher and so you know, part of me thinks I should know better, but the other part of me just understands that there's been a lot going on and I'm not going to get it all perfect and that's okay. But I do want to talk to you today about helping your child get ready for back to school. And obviously I am not going to talk to you about um, helping them get ready for back to school in terms of getting their school supplies purchased because <laughs> apparently I am not your gal for that one, but I do want to talk to you about helping them get back, get ready for back to school in ways that really matter. Now, I know that there's a big push, especially here in the U.S. where I live. There's a huge push on academics. We're worried that we're falling behind from the rest of the world, that our children are our future, and we want for them to be ready to carry the United States with their innovative educations and whatnot. 
And I get all that. I also, I understand there tends to be what they call a brain drain during the summer where kids' academics are higher in the springtime. And when they come back in the summer, they've kind of forgotten a lot of what they learn. I, I get all of that, but I still feel like we're often missing the mark in academics. I still feel like, yes, academics matters. Yes, you know, having the school supplies that you need for a classroom to function, of course, that matters too. But there's something else that we don't talk about nearly as much to help your child get ready for school and to really thrive in their schooling experience to better prepare them for life, to help them be really productive members of our society as they grow up. And of course, that is helping them learn social and emotional skills. Now, as I said, I have a background as a teacher and there's this educational concept. I teach you the, you know, we go into this a little bit in the Confidently Mommy membership for those of you that are in there. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And this was um, based on a lot of study done by Maslow. I don't know how many years ago, I can't remember the exact data, but you're welcome to Google it if you want to go into it more. Um, basically, this idea is that each human has basic needs. And if the fundamental me- needs aren't going to be met, it's going to be really, really difficult to meet some of the like supplementary needs. In other words, how this relates to us right now is if a child does not feel socially, emotionally, in terms of relationships, like safe at school, it's going to be really hard for them to care about learning math and reading and science and all of the other subjects, right? Unless they happen to have a hyper-focus in it, it's going to be really hard to motivate them to even care about those things if they feel like nobody cares about them, if they don't know how to handle disappointment, if they can't navigate the social scene if they can't uh, handle feeling lonely or times of failure or if their mother's not there to hold their hand through all of it because that's what they're used to right um it's going to be really hard for them to have that academic success success and even more than that even more than that let's just imagine a child i'm going to create a fictitious child right now just so it can be totally anonymous towards people that I know in real life but let's just say that there's this kid named Alex and Alex was top of his class throughout all of high school graduated with honors um, was offered multiple scholarships based on academics to various colleges but as he leaves high school and he enters what you know, some people might say the real world, but as he enters like this, kind of leaves that bubble that is in schooling for the first 12, 13 years for many children's lives. Um, he doesn't have the ability to handle stress. And so he has to avoid stressful situations. This reminds me of a story I heard once. I don't know this person personally, so hopefully this is anonymous enough, but of this was told from the doctor's perspective that this doctor was in a surgery and thing like in the middle of surgery and one of the assistants maybe it was a nurse maybe it was a medical assistant I don't know and became very tense and very stressful during that surgery and this nurse said well I can't handle this kind of atmosphere and so the nurse walked out mid-surgery because they couldn't handle that stress 
right? And left the patient like cut open. From the, like it was just one of those situations like, yes, we don't like stress, but we have to learn to handle it to some degree, right? If people can't handle navigating conflict, right? If they can't handle when others disapprove of them, if they can't handle when everyone doesn't like them, if they don't know how to bounce back from failure, things like that, then all of that academic learning doesn't really matter because how are they going to be able to apply it in life, right? If they don't have a good basis of emotional and social skills. Now, for those of us raising kids with big emotions or children that are neurodivergent, this poses an extra challenge because I know my children with autism and with ADHD, they don't learn a lot of social skills naturally that maybe I learned without anyone explicitly teaching them to me. They need me to take the time to teach them those skills, to teach them different ways to handle big emotions, to, to navigate different social settings, right? And it doesn't tend to happen on its own for a lot of children as much as we wish that it would, but it is so important. Now for me as a teacher, when I had my in-home micro school of 10 students, um, I learned quickly that it did not matter the math, the English, the social studies, the whatever, even the Spanish that I was teaching them, none of it mattered if they didn't think that they were important or if they didn't know how to have empathy for their fellow child. And so we spent a lot of time on our classroom culture. We spent a lot of time on social skills, on emotional skills, on um, supporting the child, on helping them get through the hard times, right? And um, we spent a lot of time playing because for many children, that is like one of the best places that they can learn is playing, right? Especially with other people, though, playing by themselves and learning to handle boredom is where creativity is born, right? So the academics are important, but we really need to be careful that we're not shoving aside other learning, right? This emotional learning, building that resilience, emotional intelligence, all of that. We need to be careful that we're not shoving that aside just to focus on the academics. And I know that this is really hard and this is even really counterculture for a lot of what we're facing in schools right now, because I know that, especially here in the United States, there's been a huge push to be an A-rated school. And when schools get that A-rated status, they, they plaster it everywhere and they let everyone know. But I have seen, and I'm not calling out any schools right now, I have seen some schools that really, really, really push aside kids' emotional needs, their social needs, their really their learning needs in pursuit of that A rating. And similarly, we as parents might sometimes push aside really important things for our kids because we want them to get that A on their report, report card. Now, I am all for academic success and, and for helping our kids achieve it, if possible. I just don't think we need to be sacrificing in the areas that we do for our child's growth with their intellectual, I mean, with their emotional intelligence, right? Me personally, like I graduated with honors. It's served me well. 
I think I could have lightened up a bit in college and been a little bit more social for, I don't know if I have any former roommates following me, but they're probably nodding their head and laughing right now. Um, We had a joke that I was dating the library. Anyways, (laughs) you didn't really need to know that, but like, it's, it's fine to get, go for that academic success. Let's just stop sacrificing what really matters in pursuit of that letter. Okay. So, you know, there are a few ways that I think that now, of course the question is how, (laughs) and I'm going to say that doesn't really happen in one podcast and with motherhood being a lifelong journey, all of this and helping our children gain these skills is a lifelong thing. Right. And that's exactly what I teach in the confidently membership for confidently momming membership. For those of you that are in there, I have another, I have a few other things that I'm working on offering that are even more affordable and take even less time to help you out in this. I'm not ready to announce them yet, but just know that, you know, it's not a sprint. There's, if, if anyone says do this one thing and suddenly your child will have all of the emotional and social skills that they ever need in their entire life. And you can do it within five minutes or fit it into a podcast episode. I would really be skeptical (laughs) of what they're telling you. There are a lot of things that we can do and that are important. And I'm going to give you 10 tips today, but I also want to point out that this is not an exhaustive list, meaning there are things out of this list that can help too. I'm just keeping it to 10 because I'm going to try to not overwhelm you. And on the other hand, 10 may overwhelm you and that's okay. So if you can just take like one idea and one small action from this episode that you can work on with your child, then great. Just take that one thing that you think you and your child need right now. And then you can come back and you can re-listen to this episode and you can work on something else or listen to my future episodes. A lot of these ideas are brought up later and reminders are amazing because if you find that you're hearing the same lesson over and over, Sometimes it might be just a reminder to, to be a little bit humble and check in and say, maybe I can improve in that area and not in a guilt way, not in a shame way, but with a self-compassion, like, yeah, I'm human and I want to continue to learn and grow. And this is an area that I can continue to learn and grow in. Okay. So here are those 10 tips to help your child prepare for their back to school journey that have nothing to do with academics. And again, I think academics are important, just they're not the only thing, right? And let's stop treating them like they are. Okay, tip number one, this really will help your child succeed in academics, but succeed in life. If you can help to try to build up their self-esteem, their self-confidence, their self-image, especially with Children that are neurodivergent or highly sensitive or have big emotions, all of the kids that I tend to focus on and who I help their mothers, especially help them, uh, they, they often have really challenging behaviors. I'm just going to call it like it is. We have to correct them a lot. We have to correct them a lot. And like one of my children bit another child today, like, yes, I do need to correct that. Right. Another kid was going through the kitchen and like dumping all of the things from the drawers on the floor. Like, yeah, I'm going to correct that also. There's so much correction that takes place with our children. It's really important that we kind of balance that out by connecting with them as much as possible. If we can, let's try to get that connection to be higher than the correction. And it's hard and it takes intentionality 
And it takes trial and error and it takes making mistakes and working on it and repair and doing better, but it's worth it. Let's work on connecting with them and not just focusing on correcting them. And it's going to help a lot with building up their self-esteem. If you want to go into this more, my podcast co-host Ashley and I had a conversation about recognizing and utilizing the knowledge from our children's love languages. I'm going to link that in the show notes. It's episode 42. If you want to go back and listen to that, even if it you listened and it's been a while, we talk about a lot of ways that you can recognize love coming from your child that maybe you wouldn't see if you weren't looking for it. And also really simple ways that you can work speaking in your child's love language that fit into a really busy um, lifestyle. So go ahead and listen to that if you haven't. It's episode 42. Also episode 46, intentional fun in parenting. Go listen to that. It's again, it's about fitting it into a busy lifestyle, not like one more thing to put on your plate, but just kind of this idea that you can have on your mind to incorporate more fun into parenting, especially with kids that maybe we do need to correct more or when times are more stressful because the behaviors are so challenging and the emotions are so intense and the meltdowns are so frequent right? To intentionally infuse the, the reading of and the expression of love and incorporating that fun. Those are two really simple ways that we can build that connection more with our child. It is so important that they have a good relationship with us. And that's one of like the core things that we work on in the Confidently Momming membership, right? Is um, helping our child learn emotional regulation in ways that feel good and help them learn to melt down less, but without trying to control their behaviors and rather by building them up and having that strong connection and relationship with us. So building up your child with their self-esteem, with their connection to you, that's going to help them a lot as we're talking about getting ready for back to school. And it matters so much more than just academic success. Okay, number two that you can do with your child, and this is really similar to and connected with number one, is to help them have a full cup. Right. There's this idea of body budget is what Mona Delahook talks about this idea. We've heard like the bucket analogy or the cup analogy, your child's body budget is going to be running on low. If they're not eating nutritious food, if they're not getting enough sleep. And I know that one is so hard because I know that bedtime with neurodiverse or emotionally intense children can be a challenge. I get it. And there's, you know, I could definitely do an entire workshop just on all of the lessons to help with that, but do what you can to try to help your child get enough sleep to be getting the fresh air that they need, the sunshine, the exercise, the nutrition, staying hydrated, all of the things to help their body body budget stay nice and high. That's going to help them a lot with their success in life, right? And, you know, when they're younger, we'll do a lot of it for them, right? We feed them, we serve them their food, we prepare all of the meals. As they grow, we want to slowly relinquish some of our control on that right and have it so that instead we're teaching them um you know how did you feel last night you didn't sleep very well or what could you do tonight to make sure that you're better rested for tomorrow those are just some ideas on how we can slowly transition that to them so that they are more capable and they're they're advocating for themselves really right as they're navigating making sure that their own body budget is nice and high by the way total side note Moms, we can apply this to ourselves, right? Our own body budget matters too. Okay, number three. Um, something that really helps as we're looking at back to school is to explain as much as we can in advance. If it's a new school, 
you can go tour it, tell your child what to expect. If you can meet the teacher, walk through the halls, all of that's great. Let them know as much as possible what to expect. So it's not this big, like uncertain blob. I know for me with anxiety and my kids with anxiety that knowing in advance really helps us prepare for that unknown. But this also leads us into number four, a huge skill that we and our children both need to work on is to become more comfortable with uncertainty. And this is definitely something that honestly, I don't naturally have. And some of my children don't have, it's something that we're working on developing constantly. Like, yes, I want to prepare you for school. I want you to meet your teacher. And then they might ask a question like, well, what's the first thing we do in the day? And I might say, you know, I don't know. And instead of finding out the first thing that we do in that day, maybe I'm going to explain to my child, this is one of those things that we don't know. And it might feel uncomfortable that we're a little bit uncertain about it. And we're going to say, hello, uncertainty. I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable that you're here, but I'm going to learn to have you be because I do believe everything's going to be okay. And I'm going to be safe, even if I don't know what we're going to do first thing in the day. Right, do you see? And this is working together. We want, we want to try to like balance if we can. And it's, you know, constantly changing balancing act, but explain what we can in advance, but also number four, help them become a little bit more, more comfortable with handling uncertainty. Okay. Number five, if possible, give your child social opportunities, help them find more chances to play. And I know video games are like the rage, but Chatting with their friends online is not going to build up the same social opportunities as face-to-face -face with a peer. Mm -hmm. If needed, and I've seen this especially with my children. Now, I didn't know that they had autism for many years. And so for years and years, we were wondering it with this fact that my kids were not learning social skills naturally. And sometimes children don't even need to have autism just to kind of have a bit of a deficit or they don't naturally pick up on social skills as easily as other children. And so teaching them, teach them about how to be a good friend, teach them how to have a conversation, how to take turns, teach them to read body language, whatever it is that you observe in your child when they're in these social opportunities, when you can observe, try if you can to teach them the social skills that they might be lacking and do it in a really loving way. And don't do it in a way like something's wrong with them as much as, hey, let's chat about when you're talking to a friend and they're making this kind of face and you show them a face that shows that you're really uninterested. You know, what do you think that that means? And then you can say, yeah, it might mean that they think that you're awesome, but they're not really interested in what you're saying. And that kind of thing. And I go into this, you know, in depth in my children's emotional education vault. I can't, again, cover it all here now, but that idea of trying to teach them those social skills from a really positive and connection-based way is going to help them out a lot. Okay, but <laughs> this gives segue into number six. Again, there's another side to this coin. Mamas, you need to accept the fact that maybe your child will have some social problems and it's going to be okay. Right? I'm not saying... You should tolerate intense bullying, right? But if your child is not the most popular person, if they don't have absolutely everyone come to their birthday party, if they're not wearing the coolest, newest backpack that everyone oohs and ahs over, uh, whatever, it's going to be okay. Just take a deep breath. <laughs> Work on 
maybe addressing some of your own triggers that might be associated with that if this is something that's causing you a lot of stress and recognize that it's okay all right yes we can build them up yes we can work with them yes we want what's best for them and we can accept that perfection is possible for zero people and it's going to be okay number seven now this is more specifically for children that are neurodivergent and that they do have a diagnosis if this is the case for your child or you're even if you're suspecting it don't be afraid to ask for accommodations especially here in the united states your your school is legally obligated to accommodate a child with certain diagnoses adhd is one of them anxiety autism ocd i could keep going tourette's what else do my clients have anyways pretty much most diagnoses like that your your school is obligated to accommodate them and sometimes it might just be a little accommodation like one of my children with sensory processing disorder needs to chew gum right um my child with adhd is not allowed to be punished for being wiggly in class and he's to be given opportunities to move his body whenever he's showing signs that he has too much energy rather than being punished for having too much energy and anyways that's another rabbit hole i could go down another day um don't be afraid and if your child doesn't have a diagnosis yet they still need some help remember chances are that your school is doing their best and so you can approach it with a really positive attitude but don't be afraid to go and talk to them and say hey start with positives right i appreciate you're doing a b and c for my child i really appreciate the effort etc and we're having this issue and i'm not sure how to address it and i think i need some help from the school can you help me out and this was one of my children that uh homework was whew, homework was a battle because this child is twice exceptional very very gifted and he already knew this this stuff before they did it at school and so he was misbehaving during the lesson at school then he would come home and have this homework to do at home which he already knew and getting him to do it was really really tedious and so I went to the teacher we didn't have a diagnosis at the time and was like look we can't handle this he already knows it can we can you work with me and she was able to come up with some middle ground that worked with us that he agreed to and it was it was a godsend because that was that was a rough school year for us when we were trying to do all of that so don't be afraid to go and chat with your school and now I'm going to say, but as your child grows, you need to take yourself out of it more and help your child advocate for themselves. Help for them to learn really kind and really um, effective and appropriate ways to begin speaking to the teacher themselves. If they're old enough to have email, teach them and help them draft an email to their teacher so that they can start to advocate for their own needs so that they don't end up being teenagers or young adults or leaving your home and they don't know how to advocate for their needs because their mother always did all of it for them, right? Slowly transition them into that. We had that this year, just something as simple as the fact that my oldest just got braces. I should put a picture on Instagram. He's so handsome with his braces. I love it. But he was a trumpet player in band last year and he's going to be again this year. And I know because I have a background in band also, I know it's going to change his ability to play that trumpet. And my instinct was to email his teacher and explain, just so you know, you know, first day of school, he's not going to be able to play that trumpet because this, that, and the other is braces. And we haven't really practiced it since he got them on. Um, but instead I went, you know, I'm going to empower my child to learn to advocate for themselves. And so 
I chatted with my child about it. Let him know that the trumpet playing is not going to be where it was at the end of last school year. He's going to learn. It's going to take some time and practice and his teacher might not know it. And what could he do to help with that transition so that the teacher doesn't think he's just goofing around on his trumpet or whatever. And he said, you know, I think I can get there a minute before class and go to my teacher's desk and say, hey, I got braces a week ago and I'm still relearning the trumpet. Just wanted you to know. And I went, yeah, do you feel comfortable doing that? He was like, yeah, yeah, I think so. Right. And so I'm empowering him now to take care of his own needs. And hopefully, hopefully as I continue to guide him, he won't need me to remind him to go talk to the teacher. Right. But we're still in the beginning stages of him advocating for himself and me relinquishing some of that control because we love our kids and we want what's best for them. But we need to stop doing it all if we can. And it's so much more work to hand it over to them and to teach them how to advocate for themselves. But it's going to be worth it in the long run. Okay, similarly, number eight. This one's hard. Try to stop taking ownership for your child's work. Your child getting an F on their report card does not mean that you're failing as a parent. It doesn't mean that they're failing as a child. It does mean maybe that they need some more help, some more supports, a better plan, et cetera. I'm also going to say that one of my kids for kindergarten got an F on his homework because I, again, homework is such a problem with us. Again, this child was doing great academically and would bring home homework that I honestly thought was busy work. And maybe this is because I'm a little bit opinionated with my <laughs> background in education. And so I, I wrote the teacher an email and said, hey, I wanted you to know so-and-so didn't do his homework today because... I felt like he already knew it, or I did an alternate activity, or we we played with Play-Doh when we wrote the spelling words out on the Play-Doh, or I let him use the whiteboard marker on the bathroom mirror, and we practiced his math up there instead of doing the worksheet or whatever. And I would say, it's okay if he fails this assignment. I just want to make sure you're not going to take away recess or other privileges. Like, is the only consequence going to be an F on his report card? And the teacher said, yeah, I mean, I can't she said thankfully like this was another good teacher we had a good relationship and she said I can't like give him an A on that assignment if he didn't do it but I'm not going to punish him in other ways he's just going to get an F on his report card so my kid you know child of two educators has an F on his kindergarten report card for homework and it's not going to affect him in life now if this were his his junior year in high school or even like sophomore or freshman year you know once you get up to high school it's going to matter a lot more in terms of now this is on a permanent transcript that's going places. So we would probably need a different plan, but for kindergarten, that one worked for us, right? That one worked for us. And because I excelled academically, sometimes I really want my kids to, but sometimes I want it a little too much. Does that make sense? And relinquishing some of my ownership over their work has been really good for me been really good for them, helped us to be a bit more healthy in our approach to their work. So it's them wanting it more than me wanting them to want it. Does that make sense? Oh, so. Okay. Number nine, help your child handle negative emotions. And again, I need to link all of these episodes. There's so many episodes we could refer back to. I have one on, you know, processing negative emotions. And I talk about this a lot in my podcast, but we just want our kids to be happy. And this is good. And this is noble. And this is great. Of course we do. 
but we need to understand that taking away all of their hardships and any situation that might give them unpleasant emotions is not going to help them out in the long run, right? Emotional resilience is not built by being happy all the time. It's like a muscle. It's a strength that comes from experiencing those emotional lows, experiencing anger, sadness, loneliness, disappointment, frustration. I could keep going, right? All of these emotional lows and learning to come back from them, right? Being able to recover from them, learning to manage them, not like staying stuck in depression. And if your child has depression, you know, that is something different. I'm talking about sad moments, right? Where, I don't know, let me think of an example here. Maybe your child gets a present from you that they didn't want. And sometimes we, we want to say, oh, well, don't worry, we'll return it and get you a better present. And sometimes that's okay, but we don't want to do that kind of thing all the time. Sometimes it could be like, oh man, you're disappointed. That's not what you wanted. Oh, let's sit in that disappointment together. Let me help you handle it. What can we do now? Right? Instead of rescuing from that situation so that they don't feel that disappointment at all. I hope that this is, this is coming across. I'm going to be doing a podcast episode soon on this, more about this idea of strength versus relief. And I'm going to delve deeper into it. But just remember that swooping in and saving them, sometimes they need that because, you know, like, especially if a child is like depressed or their anxiety is so high that they can't function, then of course they need us to swoop in and provide some relief. But if it's just like a temporary situation where we don't want them to feel that loneliness, like no one's hanging out with me or someone made fun of me at school and like we go in ready to solve all their problems for them so that they don't have to feel that loneliness or they don't have to feel that frustration or whatever that they're feeling. Um, instead, helping them to handle it, to advocate for themselves and to learn from that difficult situation, it's going to really help them in the long run. It might be harder in the moment because of course we don't like seeing our child sad. And if they come to us like, nobody played with me at recess today, you know, we could try to just distract them and, well, don't think about that. Think about this happy thing instead. Or we could say, oh, don't be silly. I'm sure that there were plenty of kids that would have played with you if you had asked. Or maybe we want to go, well, that's ridiculous. Those other children are just jerks, right? But instead, how about we just sit with them in that sadness? Oh, man. Well, how are you feeling about that? I would probably feel really sad if no one wanted to play with me at recess. And of course, we can help them problem solve. Of course we should, right? But first let's sit with them in that sadness for a minute and let them feel it. Yeah, that would feel sad to me too. And there's a lot I could go into on how to do that. But just this reminder of allowing them to feel those emotions that are not always so pleasant to feel and being able to handle them, right? Plus it's going to make feeling the excited and happy and energized emotions even better. And it's going to be a lifelong skill that's going to serve them so much more. Plus, you're not going to be there with them in school. They're going to have those moments and they need to learn to handle them. They don't need us to take it away as much as building them up to be able to handle them. And again, if there is intense bullying, 
teacher speaking here. <laughs> I would definitely recommend you go and speak to the teacher or the administration if you need to. Like, you don't need to let it get extreme. Okay. Number 10. This one is huge. If you want your child to be better prepared for the back to school this fall or really at any time, you need to work, mama, on keeping your own emotions in check. And this is not said with judgment. This is not said with any sort of attack. And I don't think that you're the problem. You're definitely the solution for your child. But keeping our own emotions in check is really important, especially when we're showing up with a child who is highly sensitive, who is neurodivergent, who picks up on emotions easily, who is empathetic. If you're feeling really anxious on the inside and you're super worried about something that's going on in school and you're trying to mask it and, and act calm on the outside and say calming things, but you're feeling anxious on the inside, your kid is probably going to pick up on your anxiety because emotional communication is stronger. You know, it's, it's worked into our biology, into our brains, into the way that we work as humans. Emotional communication is stronger than linguistic communication. In other words, your child will hear the way that you're feeling oftentimes more than they will hear your words. And it like scientifically proven to be faster. Um, so if you're saying things that are, um, you're intending to be calm and soothing and reassuring, but you're feeling anxious and swarming around on the inside, they're going to pick up on that anxiety or that stress or that worry or whatever it is you're, that you're feeling. So what might help you out better is to just be open with them. Okay. So I'm feeling a little bit anxious about you going back to school this year. You're starting seventh grade and seventh grade was a really rough year for me. In fact, that was probably the hardest year of my life was seventh grade. And I'm feeling some anxiety about it. And I just wanted to tell you that, but I also think that you're going to be okay. And Things aren't going to be perfect. There might be some ups. There might be some downs. There might be kids that are mean to you. Hopefully there's kids that are nice to you too. And I want you to know that I'm here for you and I'm here to support you through all of it. And you're an amazing child, right? Go that route. Just be honest and open with them. If you do need help working through your emotions, if you need help with managing them more, with showing up more the way that you want to, please send me an email book a call with me, join my membership, something. Let me help you support that, support you in that. It's not something you need to do alone. And it's something that's going to help your child out so much. Plus it's going to feel better for you. Okay, mama. Thank you so much for listening. Happy back to school. If you're in a country where they are going back to school. And if not, this really does apply for your child's school experience all year long. Academics are important, but let's stop pushing aside the social and emotional learning for the sake of getting an A. It's not going to help out our children. It's not going to help out our society. It's not going to serve the world in the long run. We need emotionally intelligent children who can interact with each other, who can handle conflict, who can bounce back from disappointments, who might feel stress and they have strategies to handle stress. This is what our world needs, even more than just knowing the top math or being super amazing at reading or knowing every single fact about science or history or whatever, right? Those things are great and they are important, but let's not lose sight of helping our children 
with their emotional intelligence and their social intelligence, because that matters so much too. Thank you for listening. Have a beautiful week. Hey mama, if you ever feel like you're walking on eggshells around your big emotions, kid, please know that you're not alone. I can totally relate. And I also know that you don't need to stay in that space. You can totally transform your frustration, overwhelm, and stress into calm, confidence, and in control. Now, I'm sure that you love your child and that you're on an amazing journey to make positive changes in your parenting, to learn to more effectively parent them with all their quirks and everything. But if you want your positive changes in parenting to be faster, smoother, and with a whole lot more support, then I would love to invite you to come check out the Confidently Momming membership. In this membership, you get instant access to an entire library of resources. This will give you a solid foundation to effectively parenting a big emotions kid. And then to personalize it, there are live coaching calls where you can ask me any parenting questions. There is a non-judgmental online community where you can connect and get support in between those calls. Basically, I built what I wish I had years ago before I learned how to parent big emotions kids. And when I felt like I was somewhere in between drowning, failing, or spinning my wheels with trying different things that just weren't working. So if you're ready to put behind all of those feelings of guilt, shame, spinning your wheels, or otherwise just not progressing the way you would like to in making the positive changes in parenting your big emotions kids, and you're ready to instead be empowered with feeling calm, confident, and in control so that you can help your child learn to manage their emotions so you can have more peace at home so you can have a better relationship with your kid and just have more joy in your parenting journey, then come and see if the Confidently Mommy membership is a good fit for you. You can check out all the details at enlighteningmotherhood.com forward slash confident. And of course, that link is in the show notes. Cannot wait to see you on the inside. Thank you.